for me to stand here tonight is an incredible um, journey that I've been on for a really long time. And I know some of you know my struggles with fear. And um, through all of your encouragement, through every, for RTF, I've been through RTF. And that really helped me um, kind of um, cross that bridge and to get on the victorious side instead of on the defeat side all the time. And so, um, so yes, there's been some prophetic words for me to preach. And all I can say is I'm glad I don't have to do this on a regular basis because, <laughs> man, this was a lot of work <laughs> and a lot of time. And I'm like, I don't know if I could do this all the time, Lord. Something would have to change. But anyway, so here I am um, with a lot of time invested in this. But I know this is a heart of mine. And I know ultimately what is the heart of mine is ultimately the heart of God. And so I want to articulate um, what Papa is saying and what he's calling us to as a church. And um, so here we go. <laughs> um, so, yes, like Eric said, there was a prophetic word, but I'm going to go back a little bit even further. Um, about a year and a half ago, Dennis Kramer had given a prophetic word over me, and it, had, it went like this. It says, my daughter, there will be times in the early morning hours when I awaken you, and the Spirit of God will give you a clear and precise word in season, and that I am to deliver the message to the people of God. Now, I will say I have not had these early morning moments so that I'm, I'm just being obedient and I'm being proactive and I'm, I'm just stepping out and doing, even though I've not had these tremendous, I mean, this is a download, but I mean, it's not like I've been woken up and God's just been downloading things. So, <coughs> um, so I'm going on a journey and I ask that you go along with me on this journey that is so outside of my comfort zone and um, because nobody likes to go on a journey alone and it's always fun going with other people. And so even when it gets uncomfortable, because there'll be some times when you'll be like, ooh, ouch, that hurts. You know, I'm not there yet. But just hang in there with me. Put your seatbelts on and go on this journey with me, please. Um, the heart of this message came about a year ago, and the Lord had directed me to the book of Nehemiah. <coughs> and as I read, I, I really learned how Nehemiah really loved his people, and that he loved the city of Judah and the actual city itself. And we'll explain how and why he loved that city. In reading so, I became very convicted of my lack of love for Newcastle and the people of the city. And I'm still convicted to this day because I love to love what is easy. I love my family because they're super easy to love. I love my kids, I love my husband, I love my in-laws, I love my mom, my nieces and nephews, they're all super easy to love. So it's easy to love those that are your family. And I, I love to love people that are like me, because that's what we do. We surround people, or we surround ourselves with people that are like us. And it's so easy to love somebody that's like me. <laughs> Not that it's easy for you to love me, so. Um, I love my ideas and my plans, and I love my personal time. And as you notice, it's always me, 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 my, my, my. And I think we can all fill in the blanks with my this or my that. And so for years, my children said 
when they were going off to college, you know, oh, I never want to move back to Newcastle, and there's nothing here for them, for me, and there's nothing to offer for them, and, and honestly, I had a worldly perspective, and I agreed with them. I thought, you know, it, there's just nothing here for the young people. I think it's pretty apparent, and, but God has changed my heart on that, and as I was kind of doing a little research about New Newcastle and the surrounding communities, because we have been called to Newcastle in, in this region. And so that includes cities like Connersville and Anderson and uh, Richmond and, you know, Muncie, the whole surrounding area. <coughs> so I had studied one time about Newcastle, and, and this just all confirmed what I felt about the city. <laughs> so Newcastle was recently noted, uh, not to be a Debbie Downer, but it was noted as the 10th worst place to live in Indiana. Richmond was ninth. Anderson was fourth. And Anderson is the 19th most dangerous place to live in Indiana. In Indiana. This is just Indiana statistics. Connorsville was third for the worst place to live in Indiana. So with all this information, I was just like, yep, see. Yep, I just reinforce. There's just nothing here for him. Why? Why would they want to come back to a crime, drug-infested city? Mm-hmm. Absolutely, Ken. So I now recognize the importance of people of faith in Christ to either remain here or to come back because we need that influence. We need to be the ones that change the city. So we need our children to come back. You know, I hear parents say when their kids go off to college, you know, they're going to they're gonna go to Indianapolis and work and be whatever. And, you know, there's just, you know, let's just forget about Newcastle. But, no, we need to bring the people of faith back. We need people to stay put in Newcastle because God has called us to this city and this region. Um, so we have two purposes as the body of Christ. One of them is to bring the kingdom of heaven, and the second is to be the kingdom of heaven so that we can transform the city, to be the divine nature of God. So you ask, well, what is the divine nature of God? Well, we're going to break down the word divine. And the word divine, oh, wait. This was my first scripture. See, this is all new to me. So I <laughs> the second Peter one. One four. Oh. Um, through these, he has given us this very great and precious promise, so that through them you may participate in the divine nature, having escaped the corruption in the world caused by evil desires. So, divine, the definition for that um, is what is uniquely God's. And I really want you to think about what I'm saying. What is uniquely God's and proceeds from him. What is uniquely God's and proceeds from him. And nature means to bring forth. So we are born of God. We are the divine nature. We are bought forth. We are birthed from God. And so every all those unique qualities of God, those are all in us. And that makes us the divine nature, and that's who we're supposed to be to Newcastle and the city and the region. So I love the example that John Bevere gave in the, in the book, Killing Kryptonite. He says, he asked the question, he says, well, what do lions give birth to? 
What do lions give birth to? They give birth to lions. Do they give birth to kitty cats? No, they don't give, he doesn't get, lions don't give birth to kitty cats. And so God is a lion, and he doesn't give birth. That's you and I. He doesn't give birth to little kitty cats. He gives birth to what? Lions. It says, we are born of God, and we are his offspring. 1 John 3, 2 says, dear friends, now we are children of God. We're the divine nature. And what we will be has not yet been made known, but we know that when Christ appears, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. But I wanted to concentrate on now we are children of God. So, as children of God, that's who we are. We're the divine nature of God. We're the children of, the God, of God. We're his offspring. We should manifest unselfish character, unconditional love, joy unspeakable, peace that passes understanding, supreme knowledge and perceptive insight and more. And as we display the divine nature of God in our lives, we will change the atmosphere of the city. Now, the divine nature expressing that and being that to the city does require work. But we'll talk about that later. Because we all hear the word work and we're like, I don't want to work. I work all day long. I don't want to work anymore when I get off work. So I'm going to be honest, I've not embraced and arrived at my love for the city. Um, but as I allow God to carve Newcastle onto my heart, and, I th and that I begin to believe that I am the divine nature, if we put those two things together, if we believe in our hearts that we are truly the offspring of God, as we are brought forth from him, we'll do great things. So that's what I'm trying to begin to believe, that I am the divine nature of God, and I'm allowing God to just really change my heart and how I view Newcastle and the people of it. <coughs> um, so as we begin to do that, um, my prayer is that, and I believe, I, well, it's not my prayer. It is my prayer, but I know it's what God wants, is that now Newcastle becomes the number one place to live in the United States, and that people want to come to live here. Yes, and so that's, I know that's what's in God's heart. I know it, yes. and I want it to be in my heart as well. Um, so let's go back to the beginning when God directed me to the book of Nehemiah. <coughs> so let's talk about what we can learn about Nehemiah, who he was, and how we can compare Jerusalem, or Judah, as it was called in the day, how we can compare it to Newcastle, the cities, and how we can be the Nehemiahs of Newcastle. So I'm going to introduce who Nehemiah is. Nehemiah is the Jewish cupbearer to King, I don't know how to say his name. How do you say it? Artaxerxes? I'm going to call him X because <laughs> that's just too much of a mouthful. But I only use his name once, so King X. So his responsibilities were to ensure the quality of the king's food and his drink. That was his, huh? Babylon. Um, Nehemiah had little power, but he had great influence. He was trusted by the king, and he loved his homeland, the Ju Judah, even though he lived his whole life in Babylon. 
While serving the king, some of the fellow Jewish brothers were in the capital of Susa. And Nehemiah, right out of the gate, he asked, he says, how are my brothers, my fellow Jews, my fellow countrymen doing? And how is the city itself doing? And we get why he asks about his friends. You know, we're all concerned about our friends. But then he goes on to ask, well, what, what's the, the condition of the city itself? And they had bad news. Um, they had reported that the walls had been burned, or the walls had been broken down, and the gates had been burned. And you say, well, what's the big deal about that? Well, the walls represented power and protection and beauty, and they were also needed to, to protect the temple, which was the pres where God's presence was. And it was to protect the temple from attacks and ensure the continuity of worship. So the walls were very important to the city. Um, he gets the bad news, um, but Nehemiah's typical, or not, he didn't have the typical American response of, oh my goodness, that's terrible, you know, because that's our, oh, that's awful thing. He didn't even, he just, he, he immediately says, or goes to, he sat down, Nehemiah 1.4, and when I heard these things, I sat down and I wept. For some days I mourned and fasted and prayed before the God of heaven. I love the quote that I just recently heard from Bill Johnson um, that's really relevant to this message, and he said that um, sympathy leaves the person in their broken situation, but compassion pulls that person out of the, the dark place, out of the brokenness. And so I want to be the compassion. I don't want to be the, oh, that's a terrible thing, you know, and walk on. But I want to give the compassion to bring the change. So in this prayer, not only Nehemiah did not did the, oh, yeah, by the way, God, type of prayer that we sometimes, you know, oh, by the way, can you, oh, by the way. But it was a day and night prayer. <laughs> Nehemiah now carries the burden of his people in their land because he prayed day and night. Are we praying day and night for our city? I'm not. I'll admit I'm not. Like Eric preached a few weeks ago on a Sunday morning, he asked um, that when we pray, we ask for the wrong motive. He gave a, a list of how we pray and, you know, we, we don't ask. We ask for the wrong motives, and we don't have faith. And so typically our weep weeping and our mourning and our fasting and prayers are for the needs in our own personal lives. This is where it gets, I said, you know, put on your seatbelt, it hurts, it's uncomfortable. Well, this is where we're at. <laughs> so can we ask ourselves, do I carry the burden for the drug addicts, the homeless, the homosexuals, the drunkards, the thieves, the liars? You name it, the list. Oh, God, give me the heart of Nehemiah. Yes, we need to fast and pray and mourn for those areas in our lives that we need breakthrough from. But God also wants to, to incorporate fasting and prayer and mourning for our beloved city and our region. Like I said before, sadly, I have a small measure of Nehemiah's heart. However, I am asking for the burden of the Lord. In Matthew 21, 22. And it says, if you believe, you will receive whatever you ask for in prayer. 
So what I believe in my heart that as I pray and ask to have a burden and a love and a compassion, not a sympathy for the city of Newcastle, but a compassion that he will answer, answer my prayer. <clears throat> we need to begin to look at our city and our region as God looks at it. So after Nehemiah's weeping, mourning, and fasting, his prayer then became one of repentance, but not for himself, but for the people of Israel for sinning against God. Are we a people that are praying, God, forgive our city, I repent for them, God, have mercy on them? I don't, I don't. <laughs> I'm just being honest and vulnerable, and this is where my heart wants to change. Nehemiah reminded God that he keeps his covenants and his loving kindness to those who love him and obey his commandments. So to receive our answers, we need to be doing those things. We need to be loving God, and we need to be obeying his commandments. Because Nehemiah 1.5 says, he, who, he preserves the who preserves the covenant and loving kindness for those who love him and keep his commandments. So let's go back and revisit the report that Nehemiah received from his friends. Remember it said that the people were in great distress and reproach and the gates are burned with fire. So we're going to see how we can compare Newcastle to Judah. And we can ca compare the people of the day of Judah, the Jews, um, to the people of Newcastle. So it says that the people were in great distress. So I did a little hunt and just looked up some words. and So I looked up the word distress. And I think you'll be like, oh, yeah. So distress means to have extreme anxiety. So this is back, he says, the people are in extreme distress and reproach. So they're, they're experiencing this in Judah. Now, do we see anxiety? Do we see sorrow and pain and torment right here in, in, in Newcastle? Yes, we do. Reproach means, um, again, this is what they're experiencing back in Jerusalem in Nehemiah's day. It says, <coughs> this reproach means disapproval, disappointment, disgrace, and shame. In other words, the people have done something that deserves condemnation and rebuke. Now, the things that led the Jews to their distress and their reproach are probably a little bit different than what we are experiencing, but I'm sure there was a lot of similarities. However, the results are the same. There's anxiety, there's sorrow, there's pain, there's this gloominess always hanging over people's heads, there's depression, all hangs on people. People are miserable. So let's look at the reproach that lingers and lives in the lives of people. Now remember, keep in mind what reproach means. It means disapproval, disappointment, disgrace, and shame. Because we're going to connect the two dots between reproach and distress. In 1 Corinthians 6, 9 through 10. Okay, so I'm going to give you a few definitions of what some of these things mean. Because one of them I didn't know. Um, it says, oh, or do you not know that the unrighteousness will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither fornicators, that's someone who's having sex outside of marriage, nor idolaters, those who put things ahead of God, 
because God deserves first place. And an idolater is not a statue worship that we tend to think of an idol, but it's somebody that puts something else before God who deserves first place in our life. And I think we all are guilty of that. Um, nor adulterers, that's a married person who has sex with someone who is not their wife or husband, nor effeminate, this is what I did not know what it was, it's not homosexuality, but it's a man who rejects his masculinity and identifies as a female, a transgender. We hear a lot about that. They abandon their natural identities and mentally identify as any gender they choose. Do we not see that in America today? nor homosexuals, those that are sexually attracted to people of their own sex, no, nor thieves, that's pretty obvious, nor the covetous, that's a strong desire to have that which belongs to another, nor drunkards, pretty self-explanatory, no revilers, that means to speak disrespectful or scornful. We hear a lot of that going around in America and in our city. I had a little boy in class today said, um, we were talking about um, end times and the enemy and, and the evil things in the world. And, and he goes, yeah, and politics. <laughs> I was like, well, they're good in, in ways, but people have twisted it and made it bad. <laughs> I was like, wow, your mom and dad are anti-Trump. <laughs> um, so no swindlers. Um, those are people that trickery or defraud, in other words, those that cheat people. Lots of cheating going around. Um, they will not inherit the kingdom of God. All those things that we just talked about will not inherit the kingdom of God. These lifestyles bring on disapproval, disappointment, disgrace, and shame. These people feel condemned, in which according to 1 Corinthians 6, 9 through 10, they are condemned unless they repent from their sins and make Christ the king of their hearts. Those without Christ bear the weight and the consequences of those sins, then which creates the cycle of distress. Anxiety, shame, reproach, and it just keeps going and going and going. Yes, the darkness continues, and they get in such a hole that they feel that there's no way out. But it takes us to go to them, repent, and let's give our hearts to Christ. So knowing these above facts about our city, because it's like doom and gloom, now does it become optional not to love our city and our region since they will not inherit the kingdom of God? Because according to the Bible, those people are condemned to hell. So why waste our time on them? Can we write them off because of their lifestyles? Absolutely not. It is our responsibilities as believers of God that we re present repentance and salvation to the people so in turn the truth can set them free. Because John 8, 31 through 32, well, I get talking really fast. So Jesus was saying to those Jews who had believed him, if you continue in my word, hold my teaching. Uh, mine's a little bit, but it's the same thing. You get what I'm saying. Um, then you are truly disciples of mine, and you will know the truth, and the truth will make you free. We have to take the truth to these people to set them free. 
In other words, freedom from their great cycle of sorrow, pain, anxiety, shame. Sorrow, pain, anxiety, shame. Sorrow, pain, anxiety, shame. We've got to bring Christ to them. So do we say yes with our lips? Oh, yes, God, I do love those people. Oh, yes, I love the drunkards. I love the homosexuals. Yes. But do our actions speak something different? It is our responsibility to bring Christ to the people, to bring truth of repentance and obedience to our city, and we must declare the truth. So now let's look at the leadership of Nehemiah <coughs> and how God just ties everything together. He's been talking about administration, Eric has been, for several weeks. And we think, oh, building the walls, easy piece of cake. Well, Nehemiah had to even administrate that, the rebuilding of the walls and the gates. His actual administration even began before he arrived in Judah. So when Nehemiah had heard the news about his homeland and the condition of the walls and the gates, he was moved to do something about it. Are you moved to do something about our city out here? I've just listed everything that's going on in our city. Are you moved to do something about it, to have the Nehemiah heart, to, to move in this city, to bring truth, to bring repentance, to bring Christ, to bring salvation. So he approached the king with his glass of wine and the burden heavy on his heart, and the king asked him, why are you so sad? Now this was, Nehemiah was taking a great risk because if the king had any outs with you, disapproved of you or whatever, in any way, shape, or form, he could have you executed. So even him coming to him with his sorrowful face and it being on it, he could have said, eh. <laughs> but Nehemiah found favor with the king and he granted him his request. And this is where the administration of the project began. <laughs> Nehemiah administrated the project. Administration. We have to administrate plans the city it's not going to happen by itself so nehemiah requested that the king write letters to the governors of the provinces giving permission to pass through so he's, he's going on this super long journey it's hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of miles away i don't know exactly how many but it's a long ways and he had to have permission to pass through all those provinces he then requested a letter to the keeper of the king's forest so that he could get timber to make the beams for the gates. Once he arrived in the city, he scooped, he scooped, <laughs> he scoped things out secretly. But once the plans were made known, of course, the opposition now comes. And just like Nehemiah, we're going to have opposition as well. But Nehemiah continued to organize, manage, supervise, encourage the people. And he was a man of action and accomplished the wall building in 52 days. 52. <laughs> it's amazing. Even as we bring the kingdom of heaven to earth and administrate the plans for, what, for that to happen, we will have opposition as well. Because how the church administrates plans is going to look way different than how the world administrates plans to get people out of their darkness. The world says, oh, I'm so sorry that you're that way. Here, let the government... Feed your children, clothe your children, educate your children. Let it, somebody else do it. Go on a vacation. 
You'll get your mind off of it. Don't worry about it. People buy clothes. They blame others. See the difference how the church administrates to those with distress and reproach? So different. world gives them pills. Here, take this. This will make your life better. Take that. Your anxiety will go away. Take this. You, then you won't feel so bad. But the church gives compassion and pulls them out of their darkness and out of their brokenness. But it will take all of us to do our part, contributing time, ouch, talent, well, that's not so hard to do, and money, ouch, in order to administrate the plans of the Lord. Would you guys all agree that it takes administration to make this happen? It's going to take our money. It's going to take our time. It's going to take our talents to make this happen, to change this city. Heaven isn't going to fall from the sky and say, here I am, I'm going to set the captives free. I'm here to break the drug culture. I'm here to restore honor to the family. Would be utopia. <laughs> we, we're the ones that bring it. We're the ones that are the kingdom of heaven. We are the ones to execute his plan because God is what? Looking for a man to execute the plan. People are listening. <laughs> so God is wanting, what is God wanting from us? He wants us to be like the man in Matthew 18, 12 through 14. He says, what do you think? If a man owns a hundred sheep and one of them wanders away, will he not leave the 99 on the hill and go to look for the one that wandered off? And I'd like to think, and if he finds it, truly I tell you, he is happier about the one sheep than about the 99 that did not wander off. In the same way, your Father in heaven is not willing that any of these little ones should perish. And I think, some, I think we could honestly compare the 99 to things like my pleasures, my time, my things. You know, am I willing to, when I get off work, to go work for the kingdom? Am I willing to give my talent when I've given it all day? Am I willing, I think of Eric, the, the, the counsel that's on him, you know, now to take it to the, the community to help them, free of charge. My, my, my. We see the one that has been led astray, but can we set our things aside and search out for the one that is straying in Newcastle? Can we search out the one who has the financial crisis and they see no hope for anything ever working out in their lives? They do. They believe that. They think it's impossible. I'm so far in the hole. There's just no hope. Can we search out the one who's brokenhearted? Spend time with them. Share the love and the presence of Papa. Oops. Can we search out for the one that's hooked on drugs and set, show them the real love of Jesus and get them hooked on Jesus? Nehemiah is a wonderful example of a man who left the 99. He left the comforts of his home. He left his security, his job security. He left his identity. He left his influence all because he loved his people. 
Nehemiah had the vision and the leadership to execute God's plan. So some of us may have vision and leadership. Some of them may just have vision. Some may just have leadership. And some may just want to serve the vision and the leader. And that's great, too, because we need all of it. So let's go back to how can we be the divine nature of God to Newcastle. Remember, we're not the kitty cats. We're the offspring of God. This is who we are. And when we get this in our hearts, we're the game changers for this city. So a great example of this is Michelle came to me last summer, and she's like, you know, Karen, I would, I just, there's just a burden on my heart for the, the kids in the public school to offer them the opportunity to, to be leaders. You know, we, we have great resources here, and our children are loved and nurtured into leadership in the family and in the church, but the kids in the public schools, a lot of them don't have that opportunity. And so she really wanted to see something happen in the public school. So we talked about it, and we administrated a plan and came up with what we were calling, it's called the Leadership Academy, and Gage is helping with it, Chris Hansen's helping with it, Corey Louder, um, Alexis Pribble is helping with it, and Michelle is. And so we're offering these children um, the opportunity to be a godly leader. And so we go to Eastwood, and, and we mentor these children, and then afterwards we serve a dinner to their family so they can have a sit-down dinner because sometimes that's the only meal that the, these kids will have for the day other than their school lunch. Or they may not get the opportunity to sit down with their mom and dad or their mom or grandma or whoever's the caretaker. So we're influencing Newcastle for the kingdom. We are being the divine nature to the Eastwood community. Um, there's another way that we're carrying the kingdom to Newcastle. It's through the outreach of feeding the poor and the needy. Jenny and Bob Hughes and Tammy Giddings and Vicki Taylor, Levi Sim Simmons, they're administrating and serving in that. So the wall building of Judah was a beautiful example of one man's repentance, mourning, weeping, and administration of a vision. But what took place in those 12 years after the wall was built were just as important as the wall being built itself. And I'll just list a few things that Nehemiah did even after he was done building the walls. He, he became the governor of Judah and um, really did some powerful things. I'm just going to give you a list of a few things uh, that, he, that he did in the next 12 years. Because sometimes we think, oh, we can just walk away this from the situation. So, like, for example, <laughs> yeah, so... With this Leadership Academy, I was like, okay, God, I, I can't just keep walking away from this every other Thursday, and, and, and that's just it. And so I felt like the Lord told me, I, you know, you need to connect. This, we have this little girl in my group, Michelle and I's group, and you need to develop a relationship with her mother. It's like, okay. <laughs> and so I talked with her, and her and I and, the, and her daughter and her daughter's friend, we met at Taco Bell Friday night. And I'm not tooting my horn, but I'd worked a six-hour day putting up over 200 cases of Oreos and crackers for you people to buy and eat. <laughs> Thank you very much, Karen. <laughs> and I was pooped out, pooped out. But I had made this commitment, and again, it was sacrificing my time, my, my 
my time that I wanted to go home and just, <sighs> and so I went to dinner with them, and they talked, and they talked, and they kept talking, and I just sat, and I listened, but my heart broke because this little girl and her friend were just saying things that they have seen and heard that I didn't even know about until I was an adult. And this little girl is in fifth grade. And the things that these two little girls have seen and heard is unbelievable. And so I'm talking to the mom, you know, the dad's been in jail. Well, she's divorced now, but dad's been in jail. He just got out of jail. I'm like, my head is spinning. I'm like, this seems so hopeless. How in the world do we reach a city? Because the city's full of situations like this. And I just, I went home and I just cried because I'm like, God, this is, this just seems so overwhelming and so hopeless. He said, it's one at a time, Karen, one at a time. Because sometimes we think it's the, man, go in, have a big old meeting, have the big inflatable, which those are good. I'm not taking away feed the community, but man, we have got to get the one-on-one -on -one connection with these people if we're going to reach the city. Oh, I got sidetracked. <laughs> um, so here's a list of the things that Nehemiah accomplished in the next 12 years as he governed Judaism. One of the things he did is he set, he set up families to protect the wall next to their home. Hmm. He set up, we'll get back to that. Um, he set up a genealogy record. Um, you may say, well, big deal. Um, but those were greatly valued because it was vitally important for a Jew to be able to prove that he or she was a descendant of Abraham. Um, he gathered the people, and he had Ezra, who was the priest at the time, read from the Law of Moses. They didn't have the Old Testament. They just had the Law of Moses, which was probably about the first five books of the Bible. And when Ezra read, the people wept, for they realized how far they were from obeying the laws. See how important it is to keep going? Um, he restored the Feast of the Booths. And you say, well, what's the Feast of the Booths? Well, they actually lived in booths made of branches. And this was, they would cut down little trees and make a little booth, and they would live in it for a season. And it was a reminder of their escape from Egypt and their time that they spent in the shelter in their wilderness. They were to think about God's protection and guidance during their years of wandering and the fact that God would still protect and guide them. <clears throat> but there were many more things that he established or reestablished in the city and in the people. So when I choose to love God, which I think we've all in this room have chosen to love God, when I do that, I make a choice, I've made a choice, then I'm automatically signed up to love people. <laughs> to cause, because to love God is to love people. John 4, 7 through 8 says, Oh, that's not what I thought it was. Okay. Um, the one on my note says, let us love one another. And God isn't talking about loving those who are like us. Because remember, that's really easy to do. I had to sit for an hour and a half and love a woman that I have absolutely nothing in common with. Zero, zippo. 
and I'm asking God, how can I bring your kingdom to this situation? How? Because I, I have nothing in common. I have nothing, no ground to even build on. Um, so let us love one another, for love is from God, and everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. The one who does not love does not know God, for God is love. So Nehemiah chose to love his God, which in turn he loved his people in the city of Judah. Because of love, Nehemiah was able to accomplish a huge task against incredible odds. So my incredible odds situation, that aha moment of, oh my gosh, how is this going to happen? But with love, we can accomplish anything. Not only is the book of Nehemiah about rebuilding the wall, but it's also about rebuilding a people's dependence on God. So can we abandon our pleasures, our 99 things, and can we work together to rebuild the dependence for God in our community? So when I was praying and talking about this with Eric, and, and all of a sudden I had this vision of Interstate 465, and it, we all know it's just a circle around Indianapolis, and in the vision I just saw all the cars, these vehicles, which represented you and I, and we were just on this interstate circling over and over, and some were getting off on their exit ramps, and some just kept going around and missing their exit ramps, and, and some of the exit ramps said um, the drug culture, and some said missions, and some said um, school outreaches, and um, oh, what was some of the other? Um, feeding and clothing the poor. But then there was some that were blank, exit signs for you to fill in because you don't know where you're supposed to get off. You don't know the exit that you're supposed to get off on. You don't know that part of the wall that you're supposed to help rebuild. Well, this is how we're going to figure that out because I do believe that there is a specific exit for each of us to get off on. So maybe none of these exits rang a bell or like, oh, I don't know, nothing sounds... So let me ask you a really good question. So what brings um, joy to your heart? What stirs your heart? What, what moves you? Ask yourself that. Maybe it's um, single moms. Um, maybe it's the education mountain. Maybe it's the government mountain. Maybe it's the arts and entertainment mountain. Maybe it's the family mountain. There's the seven mountain mandate. There is a mountain for you. <laughs> there is. I promise you. Just ask in your heart. God, what, what is moving me? What stirs me? Kids stir me. I have a compassion and a love for these kids. That's what stirs me. So guess where I'm at? <laughs> I'm at Eastwood. I'm in children's ministry. I am being the divine nature of God. So each of you have a mountain that I mentioned above. And those mountains represent your section of the wall that you're called to repair here in Newcastle. Our city walls are broken down, our gates have been burned, and the people are in great distress and reproach because of sin. But as Eric preached a few weeks ago, that if we ask, if we press in and we ask, because we don't ask, Sometimes we don't want to know. I don't want to know the mountain because that's going to require something of me. It's going to require work. It might require my time. It re might require my finances. 
but as we press in and we ask, and we have what? Does anybody remember? I'm going to cast you a little bit. Have faith. Got to believe. And what's the third thing? Ask with the right motives. When you do those things, God will give you the wisdom of which exit you're to get off of so that you can reach your destination that he's called you to. See, each of these exits have a, def a destination for you to arrive at. Just like, I mean, it's just so, <laughs> you can compare it to life. You know, you, you get on interstate and you go off an exit, you're, you're arriving at your destination. You have an exit to get off. You do. Just ask, have faith, ask with the right motives so that you can help rebuild the section of the wall that you've been sent to rebuild. Amen. So, I could do this, what I do with the Camp Grizzly kids. So, tell me one thing that you learned today. <laughs> get up here on the stool, sit, and tell me one thing that you learned today. Sometimes I get, some listen, and sometimes I'm just like, really? You didn't learn one little thing? <laughs> what? But just, I want everybody to walk away with a new, the, I know you're, again, we're all in the process of getting a Nehemiah's heart and, and moving from sympathy to compassion and, and finding our mountain that we're called to, finding that, that wall that God has set us to and, and that exit and that destination that we're, we're called to repair. So is this where I pray? <laughs> okay. Lord, we, we do want to have Nehemiah hearts. We want to mourn and we want to repent. And Yes, for the things in our lives, but we want to repent for our city, Newcastle. And that you would forgive our city and our region for all those things that are in 1 Corinthians 9 through 10. Forgive our drunkards, our thieves, our idolaters, our adulterers, our effeminates, however you pronounce it, I don't know. But you, you know all of the wickedness and all of the sin. We don't have to repeat it. And we just ask that you forgive our city and forgive us for not leaving our 99, our pleasures, our desire, our time. And God, just begin to shift us and move us our, to your precious city and the people of it because Lord you're in love with them just like you're in love with us help us to bring your presence to this city in this region show us the mountain show us this part of the wall that we're to rebuild because we're all called And that we would love you and that we would obey your commands. Because as we do those two things, you will hear our prayers and you will answer. So God, as we walk out of here tonight, let this message just, it's not Karen's message, it's God's message. Because you love this city and you want it reached for your kingdom and you want your kingdom to come here on earth. You want your kingdom to come here in Newcastle.
and we have a part to play in it. Because you have big, big things for this city. It's been declared, it's been prophesied, and we just want to want to obey and we want to love and we want to obey your commands we want to be um, obedient to those things that you've called us to do and we don't have to be in fear we don't have to be overwhelmed because we know that you're with us and that you'll give us the administration plans to make these things happen and that we would execute those things accordingly We love you, Papa. You're so good. We thank you that you will carve the city of Newcastle on our hearts. That we will leave the pleasures of life, the things that we go for, and that we would go for your kingdom to set the captives free, to bring truth, to bring repentance, to bring salvation to a lost city where the gates have been burned and the walls have been broken. You've called us to repair the city. So we thank you for all the resources to make that happen. And we just submit to you and say, have your way in our hearts, O God. Have your way in our hearts. We love you and thank you, Jesus. In your name we pray, amen.